Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I am your host, Randy Lee Boslaw. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Paint Fremerlin. And just going to throw a warning at the beginning. We do talk about some sensitive topics, um, including suicide. Welcome, Paint. So excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Um, so I am an artist and a poet. I've done spoken word poetry. I recently published a tarot deck, the Platel Tarot that I've been working on for the last year during the pandemic. And um, I also have uh, two poetry books that I've published uh, that are out still, um, Heavy Backpack and Strengthening Snowflakes. Very cool. Um, <laughs> So that's like what you do, but who are you? Uh, okay. So <laughs> I'm like um, a queer, non-binary, transgender, neurodivergent witch. <laughs> you sound like my kid right now. <laughs> oh, seriously, if you asked him, that'd pretty much be very close to his answer. <laughs> Well, I'm almost 30, so dreams can come true. <laughs> oh, there, there you go. Well, I am 30. I mean, yeah, anyways. <laughs> 30 was a so-so uh, year. I, I had cancer when I was 30, so I was so-so. But 31 was really good. I liked 31, 32. Yeah, yeah, I'm really getting amped for 31, so. Yeah. Um, some people have never heard the word neurodivergent before. So first explain to everybody what it is that you mean by that. Okay, so neurodivergent um, is just kind of like, there's um, sort of like measures of how people are typically expected to function in society and how our brains react to the world around us. And so there's sort of this like neurotypical way of perceiving and receiving information in the world and how we interact with it. And so people who are neurodivergent, which includes people who are, it was primarily from the autism community that that word is coined. Um, but it, it can extend out to include people who are ADHD, people who have mental illness. Um, those can all be kind of included in that umbrella of experiencing the world in a way that is different than what is sort of primarily expected of us. That is a great explanation. I'm always trying to think of the best ways to explain that word, because in my second book that I released, uh, I co-authored with my best friend. And we used that term to explain our kids and people at that time, this was a few years ago. And we were like the first people in our area anyways, that were using that word. Mm -hmm. And they, people look at us, go, what the heck do you mean? And we'd have to explain it. So it's so nice when I meet guests, cause you're not the first one to, to use that word. And I love it. Yeah. Well, I really like it because it's a demedicalized term and it's something that originated from within the disability community itself. Yeah. Right. And I like it because it, it doesn't mean that you're less than, it means that you're different from. Yeah. Right. Like it's just a totally different perspective. And then another term that you used that I think a lot of people don't know is non-binary. I remember when I first heard it, funny story. Okay. So when I first heard it, it was my oldest kid that said it. Um, and she was coming out and I was like, Okay, and she goes, I, ha I have something really important to tell you. Okay. And she goes, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, like get on with it. Come on. And then she goes to her room and she texts me. She goes, I'm non binary. 
I had never heard this word before. This gender fluidity was very new concept to me. It wasn't something I'd heard of before. So I was thinking non-binary. I was like, you're a computer? Like, oh no. Like a binary code. Oh, like, no. I don't know. I had no idea. This is this is going back now. Oh my goodness, she's in grade 12. So I guess going back four years now. It's it's been a while, but I was like, you're like I had no idea that that was a term. So I had to look it up and then I noticed, oh my goodness, there's there's a lot of terms. But explain to everybody else who is in the same position I was thinking binary code is something related. It's not, guys. It's it's not. <laughs> uh yeah. So like we've been socially conditioned by our society to think of ourselves as having like two distinct genders or two distinct sexes when that's not really the reality i i see i see gender more as like a dance and a way that we communicate and a way that we like express ourselves to each other and a way which we experience ourselves and so for me non-binary is um it can be both like an umbrella term or an individual identifier of having a unique experience of gender that doesn't fit those traditional roles of strictly masculine or feminine, male or female. It's it's somewhere in between, outside, nowhere, out the window. <laughs> like it could be all kinds of places, but it's a just a different way of defining that experience outside of male and female. That, again, another great definition of it. Um, there's because there's a lot of different terms to describe gender now which i'm coming to learn <laughs> over the last few years and i'm still working on it still learning the intricacies of it all i mean life is mm -hmm. all about learning and mm -hmm. the only problem is when we stop trying to learn then mm -hmm. you put yourself in a rut as long as you're trying to learn then it's all good yeah yeah uh, all right and one last question about some terms that you use because you're actually so I've heard people call themselves queer before, but growing up that was a derogatory term. It was, you know, that was something you didn't say to people. It meant that you were being really mean to them. Mm -hmm. So this, I mean, I've I've heard it a little bit now that I've been doing some research since my kids said they were non-binary, but I still don't fully grasp people using this term. Cause like I said, I grew up and that was like a no-no. So, yeah, so like it's it's definitely more of um, it, it, it becomes more of a political uh, statement when you are reclaiming it because you're right, it does have a history as a slur. And I remember like really feeling like I didn't even have a right to use that word because I felt like I hadn't gone through enough life experience. But there's a certain point where, um, you know, to me, I like I felt like I had I had reached that threshold of like, oh my goodness, like I am queer because I have gone through all of these difficult things. And I'm um, I'm going to take that word and I'm not going to let that word have power over me. And so, you know, it's um, it's the same as any kind of reclaimed slur, right? Like people use it like there's different like um, um you know, it's okay for, it's, it's, it's different than other reclaim slurs because every reclaim slur has its own nuances and, and yeah, that yeah. community that. Yeah, we don't, we don't need to get into all those because. <laughs> yeah, there's we, a we lot, there's a lot there anything. to unpack. Yeah, but yeah. For, for queer, it's kind of like, um, 
um, people who identify underneath that term, you know, that term applies to them and only them. And so like, you don't apply that term to the entire LGBT community. You apply that term only to people who have like reclaimed, like specifically stated and reclaimed that term and said that whether or not it's okay for people to use it, there's still some people who like parts of it to be censored. There are different levels of comfort and feelings around that term. Um, there are, you know, younger people who who are just embracing the term and maybe haven't had to have all those negative experiences with it too. And then there's like disagreement among other people about whether or not the younger people should even be using the word, but it's like, it's our word. Like we've taken that and we've made a world where it's safe for them to use that. So like, I think that's good. I think that's beautiful. Okay. If, if people want to reclaim that word and make it their own and like, the first time I heard queer used in a um, a negative sense was um, with this um, older lady that I worked with at the time. And she was talking about oranges that had gone off, like they had gone rotten. Okay. And she says, oh, I think the oranges are a little queer. And I just remember being so like thrown for a loop by that because I've never had queer used as a derogatory word towards me I don't think not any way that's like registered in my consciousness okay, yeah. but that use of the word queer really threw me off because it's like you're saying that that word is 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 rotten is is gone bad yeah yeah hmm, very interesting mm -hmm. all right and this is the perfect segue then because you brought up experiences that you went through well let's Let's talk about some of those. I'm sure a lot of them relate back to your mental health. So I'm just going to shift mm. this over there. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of my mental health, I guess there are kind of like um, a couple of key things that happened. I had a psychosis in my early 20s. And I think that that was a combination of uh, the undiagnosed autism, uh, a lot of gender stuff going on, and just like the way I had been kind of like really programmed to fit into reality, just wasn't operating. <laughs> and I like realized that I was perfect in the sense that I had like achieved this kind of social perfection for other people, but it wasn't who I was and it felt empty. And I just kind of like fell off this cliff because I had nothing in the world for me to like kind of grasp onto to say, this is who I am. And and ground myself in myself. And I was also on like the wrong types of medications because I didn't have the right diagnoses. And um, I kind of, I believe in um, like epigenetic triggers. Okay. And so I believe that having a psychotic episode and, and this is from kind of like skimming, like I'm not a scientist, right? But this is from skimming and, and my own kind of self-research. Um, I believe that having that psychotic episode probably triggered um, a predisposition to bipolar and to mania. And so okay. now I have to remain for the rest of my life continuously vigilant to keep myself in kind of a steady state of mind, right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that prior to that, I was, you know, autistic and ADHD. And then trying to cope with that without support, without diagnosis and without a framework triggered a psychosis, which set off the epigenetic trigger for bipolar. And I do have a lot of childhood trauma because it's impossible to not have, it's, it's almost impossible to not have trauma when you're a neurodivergent person. Yeah. 
-hmm. And then when I was a couple more years into my journey and I had started to really embrace and explore these different aspects of my identity, I was traumatized again uh, by a sexual assault and um, developed like full on PTSD and lost my ability to write. Ooh, and when you're a writer, I mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When you lose the, the ability to do something that you love, that's like a part of who you are, that's so horrible. Like, yeah. Um, cutting off your arm, like you just. It, it really was. It's like, it's, and. Uh, and like people think that like writing is just uh, typing words on a page, but it's it's so much more than that because there is this process that is going on in the back of your mind where you are crafting a universe or you are creating a world and you are communicating an intent, an intention, a story, an ideal. There is something beyond like you know this paragraph. You're trying to communicate something that transcends the entire yeah. story through your story. Yes. And so, um, you know, I would still be able to like write these like really long posts about how mad I was that I couldn't write. And so like, I think it like didn't click for people what I was going through because I would be like, yeah. I can't write. And I could write about like this long <laughs> about but it how I can't write. But it's not the same. Right, exactly. Um, and so I ended up doing a lot of spoken word uh, for a period of time, got involved in the local spoken word scene. And that's how I ended up like uh, doing my poetry books um, okay. was because that was kind of my fallback. It was like, well, at least I can do poetry. Yeah. Right. And I can write about things that happen to me and I can write about like nonfiction and I can write about the things that I believe in. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but it was still like um, really haunting me. Um, because I was working on a novel that dealt that that was a way of um, processing my psychosis of all oh, things okay. right because it was like a two-year gap between my psychosis and my assault so in that period I had like synthesized a story idea to kind of communicate um, what my what my pain that led to my psychosis was because it's like I understand why I had my psychosis I understand mm -hmm. where that came from within me and, and like the story that I write, it, it has nothing to do with what I actually experienced during my psychosis, but it is a metaphor that explains oh, okay. the circumstances that created that, that event. Okay. Does that make sense? I, I think, I think I'm following. I think. So. Yeah. Cause it's and like, if people it's like aren't, <laughs> then they can ask questions down below and we'll get you back on and answer the questions. Yeah, so Here like the story, the, the story was about gender, right? The story yeah. was about gender and a world that was divided about by gender and um, how people respond to trauma. And okay. so it, there was a lot of, there was a lot of different things going on there. And even now I look back and I didn't even know what I was writing about yeah. in that story. You know, like you look back and you're like, wow, but it's been almost, um, like 10 years since I was, since my psychosis and since I was writing. Oh yeah, I guess so. Cause we are talking about 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I had to, I had to completely let go though of whether or not I was going to finish that specific story 
in that specific form because otherwise I just was torturing myself with the question and I wasn't able to heal. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Now I'm uh, curious, have you went back and finished that story? Well, I have like ideas um, okay. about what I might do. Um, like I might try to do it in like a different format. Like I might try to turn it into um, a game or a show. Like, you know, like I've, okay. I, I actually pitched it as a show. Uh, oh, didn't go okay. through. It wasn't, it was rejected, but you know, I tried. Yeah, that's all that you can do. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not gone. Right. I'm just, I'm not pushing myself. You know, yeah. I'm trusting that I, I need to do a lot of work before I can 100% go back to that. Yeah, I was just being nosy. Um, and I'm going to be some more nosy right now. So, okay, you talked about the psychosis when you're in your 20s. What, take us back a few years before that and like, what was leading up to it? Because you were saying that you didn't have the correct diagnosis at the time. So mm -hmm. what did they say that you had? So at that time, I was strictly diagnosed as ADHD. I had a feeling that was going to be grand. <laughs> yeah. And so like part of why I had the psychosis was a bad reaction to ADHD meds because I should not have been on ADHD meds by themselves because they didn't actually fully address the kind of, mm -hmm. you know, complexity of symptoms I was having. Yeah, that seemed to happen a lot. I mean, again, I can only speak from experience. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a researcher. Mm -hmm. But from my experiences just with like my kid, ADHD was like the thing they push and try these ADHD meds. And I'm like, okay, well, these didn't work. Oh, well, let's just try a different kind. I'm like, but we know they don't work, <laughs> but we'll try a different kind of the same thing. And guess what? They didn't work. <laughs> so um, it can be very frustrating, but I do understand from the medical side. I mean, there's so many different kinds of medications too, that sometimes it does take time and trial and error to find something that would work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so they said that you had ADHD and then you had kind of a psychosis what did it feel like when you were in the psychosis so being on a psychosis I like I honestly thought that my brain had created its own drugs and that I was high and that I was having an out-of-body experience, and I was, I, I didn't think I was in reality. Wow. I was moving through reality, but I did not yeah. think I was in reality. I thought I was in, like, another realm on top of ours. Okay, how long did it last? So, like, the acute portion, um, like, it, it, it's probably built up over the course of, like, two weeks, three weeks, and I was in the hospital for seven weeks. Oh, dang. <laughs> All right. So yeah. when did the new diagnosis come, the correct diagnosis? How long? Um, so I was put in one hospital and uh, this one was not a good fit for me, the hospital itself or the doctors. The nurses were terrible. Uh, they said awful things about me to me, made assumptions, didn't ask me questions. There was just a really difficulty in communicating. Okay. And um, it was it was a just a terrible experience. And so I was there for about three weeks and uh, they didn't know what was wrong with me. They just said like stress on the brain and they were refusing to give a diagnosis. 
And like looking back on it now, though, I think that was the accurate, the most accurate diagnosis at that time is just like my brain was just so stressed out that it just like exploded. Um, And um, then I was transferred to a different hospital where I saw my original doctor who um, was treating me for ADHD. And he's like, well, you have bipolar. We're going to put you on bipolar meds. And even now, though, like the, the the bipolar aspect is somewhat debatable. Um, doctors don't have a consensus. Like my my own, like the different doctors I've talked to, there is not a specific mm-hmm. consensus about about this aspect. Um, and that's kind of like it could be frustrating, but I am I've like kind of like made my peace with that because like I understand yeah. what happened in that situation internally and to me the label doesn't matter so much like they can disagree or label that however they want as long Mm -hmm. as I understand myself and my brain and what's happening that's what's important to me and I think a really important point for people to understand is that mental health is it's um subjective right because the doctor can't just do a test and go oh yeah your blood work here says you're bipolar that's not the way it is so when you go into an appointment and they ask you, you know, X, Y, Z, and you give them answers, then you go into the next appointment, but maybe you're in a down mode or maybe you're in an up mode at that time, then you go in and your answers can be different to the next doctor because your mood has switched. Well, so Dr. A doesn't see what Dr. B sees. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard part, excuse me, of mental health. And I know taking my kid to different doctor's appointments over the years, that's been a struggle where it's like, no, seriously, I'm not lying about the meltdowns. It's just, you're not seeing it right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, and for me, like, I, um, you know, I had a lot of, um, there's a lot, a, a lot of times people with autism are misdiagnosed with bipolar. Yeah. Because, because doctors only do see that like snapshot right and they're like they put it in that box of well if you weren't diagnosed as autistic when you were a child then I'm going to pretend that that's not even a possibility that you're an undiagnosed autistic person like we're just going to pretend that's not possible and um I see what you're doing right now and it's kind of this like weird eccentric behavior so that must be mania that must be hypomania and so For me, like the measure, it became more about like, you know, I realized that to go see my psychiatrist, because like, unfortunately for me as a transgender person, my mental health care was tying into my gender affirming care. Mm, And so it's like, well, you can't get gender affirming care unless you can prove that you're mentally stable. And then it's like, but then is my priority to be mentally stable or to appear mentally stable to get gender affirming care and like the gender affirming care would help me be more mentally stable so it becomes interconnected it it is horrible it is a horrible thing to navigate it is a horrible experience I do not recommend it um you know people don't do this for fun there is no fun they have made it like absolutely no fun and so if I want to wear clothes that make me feel comfortable and happy and joyous because I'm not having a good time. (laughs) Like I'm going to do that. And so for me, like my gender expression is, is very fluid and is all over the place. And like, has always been that way. Like, 
you know, even though I primarily use like he, him uh, pronouns and like, I still accept they, like they is okay. I love they. Um, I I'll wear frilly skirts and I love dresses because I hate pants. And like a lot of that has to do with like the autism side of things too, because it's like a sensory experience of like, yeah. I hate the way pants feel on my body. Dresses feel more comfortable. I feel, I feel so much more comfortable in dresses. Oh my goodness, you, it's like I'm talking to my kid as an adult because that is the same thing. So he goes by he, him, mm -hmm. um, born, born female goes by he, him, but still wears dresses because dresses are more comfortable because pants are not. Yeah, no, pants are horrible. And oh my goodness, it's just it's, so funny because that's, it's a conversation I have regularly with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's totally legit. It's totally a thing. And I'm glad that um I'm glad that you sound like you're a pretty supportive parent. So that's awesome. I'm I'm glad well, that they have you. As he, he likes to say, you. yeah, as he likes to say, I <laughs> and sorry for anybody that this is not how they want to hear it, but I pooped him out. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I went through all that. I might as well keep loving him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yours for like sure. I, Personally, and I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I just don't understand parents that all of a sudden stop loving their kid because they're not what they thought they were. That's, I don't know, <laughs> it boggles my mind. That's a whole rabbit hole that we don't need to go down right now. Yeah. But no. <laughs> my message to any parent out there is you've already pooped them out. You might as well keep loving them. That's, you know, that's not a bad mantra. <laughs> and I mean, he's, he's hilarious. He's He's an artist too, just like you. Like I said, it's it's like a spitting image. It's very strange. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Okay, yes, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's so neat. Yeah. Later, I'll have to send you his his website. You can see his stuff. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so after you got out of the hospital, and you're kind of dealing with this this gender identity thing and this bipolar thing that they're saying you have, when did the autism diagnosis make it into the mix? So that's actually like a really weird story. Um, like weird. <laughs> <laughs> because um, uh, so my like I have a brother who is nonverbal. Older or younger? I'm just being nosy. Uh, just a tiny bit older. Just a tiny bit older. I'm not yeah, um, just nosy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I have a brother who is nonverbal, and so um, there was a lot of uh, problems in my family growing up and my brother wasn't treated very kindly in my my opinion and also like as a professional because I did end up going and studying disability studies and working in the field of human oh. rights for disability people for disability studies and for dis working in human rights for disabled people and so I know as a professional that the way my brother treated was treated as a child was unfair and abusive and by our society standards, especially at that time, it was not seen that way. Yeah, things have changed a lot over the years. I mean, we have a long way to go, but it's a lot different than it was. Yeah. And so in terms of me seeing myself as autistic, it's really funny and like understanding that I am autistic um, because it's like my mom had all the books about autism. So like I read all of them when I was nine years old like all of all of her books by Temple Grandin. And yeah. my friend pointed out like that would really help someone who was autistic learn how to mask their symptoms. Cause mm. like, why did I read all of the books 
on autism that were available to me so that I yeah. could manage. Like I was young, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but at the same time, I was watching my brother be abused. And so what was I internalizing yeah. from that, right? And I was I was internalizing some very like, it is not safe to be autistic as wrong to be autistic. Yeah. Right. And so those are some very strong internal messages. But especially post psychosis, it became harder and harder. Cause like essentially like I like and, and this is common, I think, with people who who are autistic and go undiagnosed and unsupported and mask their symptoms and, and mask like you know who they really are from the world. Cause they're they're trying to build up this image yeah. and present in a specific way and like hide how they actually feel and how they yeah. actually experience the world. Um, psychosis and bipolar and all of these things, like I think that's an incredibly common reaction. And there are um, like, I, I have talked to a lot of people who have had mental breakdowns um, because of that, right? Yeah. And so coming out of that mental breakdown, I, I could not hide that I was this like really bizarre person. I didn't know like who I was. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it was like, I started to figure out what that meant. And I had to go off of medication for a little while um, because I just, I, I was just like, it like, it shut me down too much to, to think clearly. Okay. And so I was like, I didn't have a supportive doctor that I felt like I could talk to. So I made that conscious decision and I did it in a way where I tapered my doses and I did it like safely. And I would not recommend like a, ideally people have supportive doctors that they can go through these types of processes yeah. with but unfortunately that's not always the reality um and and i do believe that people do have the utmost authority on themselves um generally speaking um, and i mean there's always second opinions out there if you live in an area that that's possible yeah exactly yeah. right but uh unfortunately like um connecting the dots between all the different doctors getting the right opinions like it can be really hard it can be super hard to navigate so like sometimes we make choices sometimes they're wrong um that was an okay choice in my case yeah. luckily for me to go off of my medications and I had like first it started with like that's what kind of led me down the like as soon as I was off my medications and I could like think clearly that's when I started to realize like the queerness and the gender stuff okay. and the sexuality things and so I really started going into that pathway. And then I moved in with someone that I thought was like a safe person and more of my autism was coming through and, and more of my disability because I was being more myself and trying to live in a way that accommodated my disability, even though I didn't know what my disability was. Yeah. Um, and that's where I was assaulted and ultimately abused. And so it's like I exposed you know, my disability for the first time in my life. I exposed my transness for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I had a near-death experience. Oh, it was like that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then um, I ended up like escaping that a situation and working um, kind of like a minimum wage job. And like, I lost my career because I lost all of my confidence. So um, I lost my ability to write. I lost my career. Like everything was just like boom down in like and and like the depression that I went through was so devastating. Yeah. So How devastating. Old were you at this time? Uh, at this point, um, I would be like 24, 25, 26. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
but at the I'm same ju- I'm time just keeping a timeline in my head <laughs> yeah at the same time though like I am this is when I'm starting to go to poetry and people are seeing this like really loud bright creative self and people don't know yeah. no like, this is not I am I'm gonna say something and this is not meant in a mean way at all but people are starting to see these weirdos right yeah. like and I call myself a weirdo all the time I just had a conversation with my husband last night he likes oh, to yeah. say, like, he no, likes to I, say when I when I start talking, talking, and talking, he goes, Oh, we're on the roller coaster. And he goes, There we are, up and down. Yep, here we're on the Randy roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> no, people had no idea who I yeah, was, so what it, I was it, doing, what my deal was. I wasn't articulating myself well. Like, you know, I still like I, I don't know what fully happened to my own body, like in my own assault. Like, I don't know, like what like the impacts were but like my therapist was like well you know it doesn't matter if you like speculate about whether or not you had a specific type of brain injury because trauma is an injury yeah so it doesn't matter like you know like you know I've had doctors tell me that I'm fine but like there's still like this like feeling of like something's wrong with me like Mm -hmm. I feel like something's wrong with me um and (sighs) I was just acting like a weirdo and um people don't like weirdos and so I ended up being the target of a hate campaign online and people were calling me autistic oh so okay hold on I just want to get this all straight so you had no diagnosis at this time for autism yeah right so you were you had your psychosis ADHD and bipolar Mm -hmm. at this point Mm mm-hmm and you were doing your doing your poetry thing, being your cool weird self, and people just didn't like it. So they made fun of you by calling you autistic. Yeah, sort of. So like the poetry scene itself was very supportive, okay, um, but well, outside of the poetry scene, like uh, I had issues like sort of like at work, and I had issues like online where like my dating profile went viral. Mm-hmm. I was made into a hate meme. And there were threads about me where people were speculating, sharing personal information, people that I'd encountered over my life, mm-hmm. coming forward, talking about me. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, first off, the fact that, well, that's just not okay at all. And let the, try not to <laughs> swear. <laughs> try not to drop some uh, F-bombs right now, but really what the F yeah. um, is wrong with people. A lot, yeah. obviously. But the other thing I'm trying to wrap my head around is using autism as an insult. Like, it's not a bad thing to be autistic or to have autism. Like, okay, so side note, because this is, you know, Randy Rollercoaster, as my husband liked to say last night. It was really kind of, <laughs> it, it was just so funny how he was describing it because I really, I was talking about one thing and I'd be like, oh yeah. And then this other thing over here. Oh yeah, but this other thing over here. That's okay. I've heard you say I have autism and I am autistic. And I know in the autism community, there's there's people that say, say it one way and don't say it the other way. So do you have a preference? Do you care? I... I am overcoming the internalized ableism to say I am autistic. Okay. Right. So I am, I would say that I am in that process. Okay. Okay. Right. Because before it was always this question of, do I have autism? Do I have autism? Do I have autism? Because it would not leave me alone. The question itself 
would mm-hmm. not leave me alone. And then having it brought up in such a traumatic way when I was at like literally the lowest point in my life. Like yeah. I was, I was suicidal about not being able to write. I had lost my career. I had lost everything in my life and people were harassing me and making fun of me at this time. And like, this was several years ago and like, this is mostly dissipated by now. And that's, but, you know, the past. And yeah. I want that to kind of be the past. Um, it was just like, it was just like, I felt like I couldn't even say whether or not I was autistic, because if I did, if I self-diagnosed myself, there's like that stigma attached to it. So I I had no right all of a sudden, I had no right to even ask myself that question because it had been already been taken away from me. And so I knew that in order to claim an autistic identity and to know myself as autistic, I would need to get a diagnosis. Okay. Because otherwise I needed that as like ammunition against this kind of like vitriol and hatred. And like part of the reason why I wasn't diagnosed as autistic was because my family was so focused on my sibling. Yeah. Right. Because um, his symptoms were so much more obvious. Yeah. And I was learning how to mask in response to the abuse he was receiving. Yeah. Right. Understandably so. You don't want to take that abuse onto yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So um and it's so messed up it's so messed up uh but anyway so like I had to get a diagnosis and I had to do that like on my own terms and so like I was I I I had eventually kind of quietly accepted that I was autistic and I knew this um just because like I don't know at, at 28 29 now we're talking I had, you know, seen enough stuff and been through enough things to kind of put the pieces together. Like, you know, we are the experts on ourselves. And especially when it comes to something like neurodivergence, it's not the same as like saying, oh, I have cancer. Like you need to get like a, you know, a scan or something to tell you that. Yeah, exactly. Go up in there and take some stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like something, something like autism, like how your brain operates, like if you're like, you know, psychoanalyzing how your own brain works compared to other people is that really normal? Yeah. I know sometimes <laughs> I'll stop. I'll be thinking something. I'll just stop and I'll look at my husband. I go, do you, whatever it is. So like the one day um, we were reading and so I stopped because it just, it's always been a thing. So I wondered, I said, "Hun, when you're reading a book, do you like see the people and stuff? He goes, yeah. Oh, okay. And I just went back to reading. I don't see people when I like, their faces and stuff it's just not it's not there for me Hmm. right and so I'm just like huh okay like I just I just wanted to know and then I went back to reading my book with my faceless people yeah like we (laughs) all have different ways of experiencing the world too right so it's it is it is very interesting but it was just like it was it was to the point that it was it was impeding my ability to like interact and connect with people so like obviously there's something there yeah you needed to find an answer for yourself yeah yeah. And so um, I ended up having a breakdown because um, I lost a friend to suicide and their suicide was probably largely due to that whole mess that um, he was, he is also trans, also autistic, also dealing with a lot of the same obstacles that mm-hmm. I was dealing with. Right. And so in a way it just, um, we had only become close in like the last six months of his life. Um, 
and he had already tried to take his life several times before then. And I'm really grateful that we became close friends in that time. But it also, it just really, it really just tore my heart out because it's yeah. like, this could have been me. Mm-hmm. Like just as easily, like a coin toss yeah. in, in the face of the universe. Like that could just as easily be me because of we were going through so many of the same things in terms of like, um, you know, having, having our disabilities be hard to define and, and hard to diagnose and yeah. all of that stuff. Right. And so I just completely, like, I went into like autistic burnout shutdown. Like I like could barely move. I could, there was like, there was just so much that happened in that, in that, in that period of time. Yeah. And I had to stop working and take a year off. And I haven't gone back to work since because I don't know how I can, okay fit myself back into a working structure without mm-hmm. causing myself psychological harm. Because I worked when I was like, right after I had a near-death experience, I was working yeah. minimum wage job. Like, like there was so much trauma from capitalism and from like 10 years of, of working through extreme mental health distress. Mm-hmm. That like We have this thing in society where push through, it's better if you just keep going, keep working. Yeah. And that's just, that's just not reality. And like, and this last year, like with, um, with COVID, I was incredibly lucky because the timing worked that like, as this support ran out, there were like these other supports that appeared Mm, here. That's right. And so I was able to just not work. And I made a tarot deck and the tarot deck, I was also working with an arts therapist at the same time. And I was representing trauma theory. And so I was actually telling my story through drawing. And as someone who was robbed of my ability to tell story, suddenly I'm able to do it in drawing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right? And, and, And so, and then I created that and then I had to go back and I had to write the guidebooks that reference, you know, and explain kind of like a little bit about all the symbolism and like, you know, it's not going to be this super polished, amazing thing, but it's, it's like this huge step in my process of healing that I was able to create this like finished product. That is awesome. Yeah. And, Um, and, and, and get some writing in there too. So I just noticed the time. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. I want to keep talking to you, but we've already went way longer than most of the interviews go, but that's okay. Um, I'll have to have you come back because I'm, I'm, I'm nosy. I'm inquisitive. There we go. That's a much nicer way to say it. I'm inquisitive. So I have all these other things that I want to ask, but since we've already went longer than most interviews, um, we're going to start to wrap it up, but I want to know if, what would you tell somebody who's listening right now and they're really struggling with their own identity? Like find, find what you define as quiet, find solitude and like, listen to yourself there. Like that, that can be anywhere. That can be like a busy street, but like somewhere where you feel safe and where you feel like you can hear yourself. Like for me, that was when I was like driving in my car right on an empty street on a sunny day and that's that's when that's when it hit me and you just you just gotta like let it come to you because it will if you if you give it space if you don't if you don't ask if you're struggling to know if there's something that you're trying to receive about yourself from yourself you just have to give space for it to come to you 
that's very profound. I like it. All right, so the other super important stuff that we need to know is where the heck to find what you, your, your poetry books and your other products. How do people get their hands on them? Yeah, so everything I have actually is on um, linked through paint.gay. Okay. Yeah, so um, there's a little tab called things. There's the Patelotero, there's Lulu uh, Publications, which is where my books are out. I'm actually working on a second draft of Heavy Backpack right now, so that one's not up for sale, but the second one will be soon. And I also have a Threadless shop that sells all of the art from the Patelotero on all kinds of different things. There's, yeah, and there's also like, I'm there are those, uh, by the time this airs for sure, there'll be an Etsy shop. The Etsy shop is there, so there's an Etsy shop with uh, gender inclusive swimwear and okay, um, hold on, hold on. I'm working what on is, fabrics. What is gender inclusive swimwear? Like what would that look like? So for me, it's like, I hate swimwear because everything feels like too gendered. And like, it's not even that people like, like people gender swimwear for you. So it's just like having like symbols and things on it that like just are communicated and made with the intent that like this can be worn by um, like, you know, it doesn't matter what your identity is, you can kind of claim it. And like, I, I, I made like pronoun bikinis, for oh. example, right? So like, if someone okay. is like, you know, not able to transition, doesn't want to transition, but they uh, use they, them, or he, him for their pronouns, you can oh. have them right on, right, right there, right there. So, cause usually people very much gender tits as female. So if yeah. you want to have and, and that's a big problem for me is because I'm I'm very uncomfortable um, in a lot of swimwear because, um, you know, when your body is on display, you do get very aggressively gendered by others. So things that subverse that and also just things that are uh, maybe comfortable. Right. So okay. um, I'm still I'm still experimenting um, yeah, yeah. with what that will look like. I just I just this when I saw very that, cool. I thought when I saw that it was a possibility for me to do, I just got so excited because um, and it's an area I've struggled with so much. Yeah, it's it's a fight every year with my kid about what to wear because identifying as a boy, but I'm sorry, you, you still need to wear a top. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> I have I haven't found any manufacturers any manufacturers uh, linking up with um, uh, kind of like loose fitting, kind of more typical swim trunks. Um, mm -hmm. So right now, most of the things I have are probably geared towards a fab bodies mm -hmm. right so bodies that are kind of like shaped in that way um but I'm trying to I'm trying to you know be as inclusive as impossible and as and make as many things as possible so that's, that's we, will cool. we will see yeah what you have to keep me posted on that that's very cool yeah. um and where can people find you on social media if they want to follow make sure that they know all of this cool stuff that you're doing uh yeah so all my socials are linked on pink.gay as well but my my main handle that i use is i am on instagram as queer renaissance okay because my my sister said when uh she first saw my patel tarot art that it made her feel like a renaissance and okay. i kind of like like renaissance is kind of like this idea of like you know post-destruction post yeah. maybe chaos where we are creating something beautiful yeah. we're i feel like transformation new, yeah we're creating a new world through through art that is and, very and cool through what we do yeah awesome well thank you so much for being on the show yes definitely it was a pleasure that was such a great interview 
um, paints really cool person. So make sure that you check out the links down below in the description where, you know, we always post them so you can easily follow every guest that we have on this show. Gotta, gotta support each other. As well, make sure that you hit that like and subscribe button so that you get all the notifications about new episodes for the show. And we do have a merch store. 10% of the proceeds go back to the Canadian Mental Health Association. So if you haven't already become a patron on the Patreon page, if you want to support, that's just one more way that you can do it. And remember, the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly.